Well, we continue our series today in First Samuel, uh, but as we come to that, let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word and for its truth. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today, and not just to our ears, but to our hearts and our minds. Help us, Lord, to, to know you better, to understand you better, uh, to grow in faith, and to grow in wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is First Samuel 4. Uh, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. And hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what is all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. God has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, What is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes were set so that he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, What happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backwards off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel for 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. 
When she heard the news that the Ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labour and gave birth, but was overcome by her labour pains. As she was dying, the women attending her said, Don't despair, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. It is easy uh, to lose sight of who God really is. We can forget his power. We can forget his majesty and his glory. In this passage, it is very evident that the Israelites had done exactly that. But it can be the same for us too. When you come to know God in Christ, we, we see him working salvation for us. Uh, we find out that God is working all things for the good of us. And it's easy for you to begin to see the Bible is all about you and how God loves you and therefore helps you. And he does. But his love for us and his care for us should not be understood as an opportunity to become casual with God. Nor should we consider God a, a good luck charm or a superpower who is always at our beck and call. Instead, God is not only to be loved, but to be feared, uh, to be awed, and to be respected. In our progress through Samuel, we've seen that Israel is in a bad state before God. They are living their own way. Everyone's doing whatever is right in their own eyes. And this is exemplified in the priesthood who are meant to be the spiritual leaders of the nation. And so God has therefore determined to bring judgment upon those priests who are Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas. But amid all this darkness in Israel, God has a plan to bring Israel back to himself. And we've seen the birth of that plan. We've seen Samuel, who has been born, he has been raised up to be a prophet. And God has begun speaking to Samuel face to face. And Samuel will speak to the people. But the first word uh, that Samuel has received from God has been about the condemnation on the house of Eli. And so we begin with chapter 4. Uh, the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. And the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated. The Philistines killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. And when the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Remember that the Israelites are estranged from God at this time. The word of God has been rare. God has been silent with them. And the people have been doing what is right in their own eyes. And it is during these times 
that the Lord hands his people over to their enemies. Now, there will be times in our lives when we see clearly that the Lord is blessing us day to day. We can see it in the little things, we see it in the big things. But there will be other times in our lives where it's not the case. And regardless of your faith, you will face trials and difficulties of all kinds. But if you have departed from the Lord and his ways, then you can hardly expect the Lord to do anything but try and snap you out of your waywardness. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And Israel was no different. They were his people, his chosen people. And while the Lord would leave other nations to continue in their own ways, he would seek to bring Israel to repentance through their troubles. And so when Israel loses the battle with the Philistines, they ask the right question. Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today? It's the right question uh, because the Lord is in control. It's the right question because if circumstances are going to change at all, then it is certainly in the Lord's hands. But they come to the wrong conclusion. Verse 3 says, They say, uh, let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. They should have been asking, why do we seem to be out of favour with the Lord? Is the Lord really against us? Perhaps they should have been examining their own lives. Perhaps they should have been appealing to the Lord even in prayer. But they were simply doing what was right in their own eyes without any respect for the Lord. And so they sent for the ark. Why why did they bring the ark of the covenant into battle? Why was it important? Well, the ark of the covenant is no ordinary piece of furniture. It is a large wooden box with a lid all covered in gold. And inside it were the tablets containing the commands of God. There was a jar of manna, which was a reminder of God's provision in the desert, and and also uh, the staff of Aaron, which was a reminder of God's authority. These were reminders of who God was, his nature, his power. And on top of the lid were were two uh, statues of cherubim uh, posed in states of humble submission. And you can see that our text says that reminds us that the Lord Almighty is enthroned between the cherubim. Of course, that's in heaven, but the Ark of the Covenant, the lid of it, was a representation of his throne in heaven. And once a year, the chief priest would approach this representation of God's throne and present an offering of blood, and in this way, he would obtain mercy and forgiveness for the people of Israel. And so the Ark of the Covenant was also called the Mercy Seat and it represented the throne of God. It represented his presence with his people Israel. And so they bring this into battle, expecting that because they're bringing the symbol of God's presence, that God will actually be present with them. 
that they were thinking of those days when Israel was right with God. Before the time of the judges and before Israel strayed from the Lord's ways, a Joshua, who is Moses' successor, led the people into the promised land and they carried the ark of God before them. And you might remember what happened. They marched it around the city of Jericho and the walls fell down. And the battle was over before it began because the Lord was on their side. But now Israel's living their own way, doing what is right in their own eyes. They are, but they take the ark into battle. It would symbolise God's presence with them, but at a time, at the time, this, spiritually, this is just not true at all. The ark, although it symbolises the presence of God, is not actually the presence of God. And if the spiritual reality doesn't correspond to the symbol, then the symbol, well, it means nothing. Uh, we have two uh, symbols like that in the church today. We have the Lord's Supper and we have baptism. And for comparison, let's consider the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper signifies that we share in the benefits of Christ's death, of the sacrifice of his own life. And when we share in the Lord's Supper, it's special. If you are a Christian and, and you are faithful, the Lord's Supper is truly spiritual food. It encourages you and it strengthens you in your faith in Christ. It reminds you of your place with him. It reminds you of your salvation. It reminds you of everything he did. But if you come to the Lord's table wrongly, if that if you are not really in Christ, then coming to the Lord's table may even bring you condemnation and not spiritual blessing at all. And likewise for the ark, an unfaithful nation is about to take the ark of God into battle, just assuming that because they have it, that the Lord will be with them. So how did that turn out? Verse 5 says, when the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. And hearing the uproar, the uproar, the Philistines asked, what is all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. That God has come into the camp, they said, we're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. Slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. It's interesting here to see the fear that the Philistines have for God. They remembered his deeds and his power when the Lord led Israel out of Egypt. He is a, a powerful God capable of bringing plagues, capable of parting the water for his people and then bringing it back down on their enemies. 
God can bend the laws of nature because he is the creator. He made the laws of nature. He is a, a great God and worthy of being feared. And the Philistines here seem to have more fear of God than the Israelites. More understanding of who he is than the Israelites. In the chapters to come, we will see proper reverence from the Israelites, but here it's absent among them. They see God as a good luck charm for their battle. Only the Philistines see his power and might. And so they actually brave up for the fight. They go all out as if this might be the last day that they live. They fight for their lives and all they have in them and they win the battle. Now, be careful here. The Philistines might be showing more fear for God, but they are hardly on his side. They are not faithful to him at all. They are terrified of him. And equally, the Israelites may not be showing proper reverence to the Lord, but that doesn't mean that they weren't faithful among them, even among those who would have perished. The winner of the battle doesn't necessarily show who is in the Lord's favour. Israel is being disciplined as a child of God. The Philistines are merely the hammer which God is using to forge them into shape. The other reason to be careful here is that God is crafting a larger plan. And so even if the Israelites did call on the Lord and asked if the ark should be taken into battle, then the ark might very well have been called for. It might very well have been taken into battle and the battle still lost because God was fulfilling his own plans to discipline the nation and to cleanse it of its unfaithful leadership. The bringing of the ark and the loss of the battle was actually God's plan. The Israelites thought that they could control God. They thought they could bring God to the battlefield. Instead, it is God who is in control. He's always in control. And on that day, he's working his own purposes, just like he is every day. You see, the call for the ark brought Hophni and Phinehas to the battlefield who would never normally be there. And there they died together on the same day. The Lord was bringing judgment upon Israel for their unfaithfulness, but particularly he was bringing it upon the house of Eli. And the Lord had taken the lives of Hophni and Phinehas on the same day just as he said he would. The day had come, the day the Lord had said would come. His judgment has come to Eli and his house. Verse 12 says, That same day a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dust on his head. And when he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. And when the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole of the town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and said, what's the meaning of this uproar? And the man hurried over to Eli. 
He was 98 years old and his eyes were so set that he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I have fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled from the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also your two sons, Hophnius and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. For 40 years, Eli had led Israel. That's a long time. How long had it been that Eli's sons had treated the Lord and his sacrifices and offerings with contempt is not said, but... For the Lord, it was long enough. The death of Eli and his sons is the fulfillment of God's word that was first spoken to Eli and then to Samuel. The Lord is cleansing his house. He's making room for Samuel to take the lead and ridding Israel of its corrupt priesthood. Eli has time only to hear the news before he falls backward off his chair and somehow breaks his neck and dies. The time of God's judgment has fallen on Eli. But the judgment wasn't just on on Eli and his sons, but on his whole house. And so others are affected too. Verse 19 says his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labour and gave birth but was overcome by her labour pains. As she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Uh, Eli's family has taken a heavy toll this day. Uh, the family is not destroyed, uh, but it is removed from their leadership in the temple and over the nation. And the name given to Eli's daughter's, uh, daughter-in-law's son raises an important question. Uh, Ichabod means, where is the glory of God? The ark has been taken, the symbol of God's presence with his people has been taken away. And I suppose in, in, in the depraved state that Israel is in, they may even think that God's glory has departed because the Philistine gods have conquered their God. And so God is now lesser in their sight. It's a mess. Where is the glory of God? That's a good question. Perhaps we should start with a simpler one. What is the glory of God? Now, the glory of God in the Hebrew sense is how important and how wonderful he is. It talks about his presence, not in that kind of where he is sense, but in that term where it's a sense of impressiveness. How impressive is God? What is his presence like? And the Hebrew word for glory uh, comes from kabad, which means heaviness. 
Uh, in English, uh, thankfully also, we apply the concept of weight to importance and presence also. Uh, we might say that we take a matter or someone lightly if they're not important. Uh, we would say that it is a heavy matter if the matter is regarding life or death or deep emotions or it's a matter of great importance. And in that sense, God is weighty. There is no one and nothing with greater importance or presence. He is mighty and powerful. He is above all things. And what he thinks of you matters more than what anyone else thinks. There is no one more significant in all reality. When Phineas's wife speaks of the glory of God departing Israel, she connects it to the loss of the ark and to the loss of her father-in-law and her husband. To her, the glory of God was in those things. It was in the priesthood. It was in the ark of God being with them. The symbol of God's presence. For her, the presence of God is withdrawn from Israel. But the truth is that God had been treated lightly by Israel long before that. He was being treated lightly by Eli and his sons. He was being treated lightly by the people who thought they could control God and take him into battle. He was being treated lightly even when everybody was just living their own way and doing whatever was right in their own eyes. See, the glory of God uh, didn't depart. It was forgotten by the people of Israel. They had begun treating him far too lightly. They, they were living as if he wasn't there. But there when they wanted him. They were not living as if they lived in sight of God's glory. They were not living like God was present. And so God allowed the symbol of his presence to be taken from them. In, in a way, what God is doing here is pressing the reset button on the nation of Israel and its worship practices. He declares his own departure from the nation that had already long departed from him. He cuts down the corrupt priesthood. And, and when the ark eventually does return, it, it doesn't come back to Shiloh even. Shiloh is, is eventually destroyed. It never becomes the place of worship again. It, it's just everything is cleaned out. The priesthood's gone. Shiloh's gone. God has left. Israel had forgotten the glory of God. But God would not abandon them. And we know that because already Samuel is there. And he will be instrumental in bringing Israel back to God. So once more they understand his glory. And once more they understand their need for repentance. Now for us there are two ways to consider the glory of God. The first one is just to consider who he is. That he is glorious. And in this sense, God's glory is all his own. Uh, we can neither take from it or, or add to it. 
And our our response to that must simply be to respect him, to honour him, to worship him, and to live our lives to please him, and to love him. There is no one like our God. No one is holy. No one with more authority or power. But sometimes we treat God more lightly than we should. The Israelites treated God lightly when they simply assumed that he would be with them when they took the ark into battle. Even as Christians, this can be our mistake. Because we are indeed able to call God our Heavenly Father and Christ can even be counted as our friend. But then we start treating God like our earthly father. Start treating Christ like we do our fellow friends, more like a mate. But God the Father is not like our earthly fathers. You see, with our earthly fathers, we, we might grow up under them, but then we start to grow with them. We can match them. We can even surpass them. With our Heavenly Father, though, we are we're always infants. Children barely out of the cradle. We're in constant need of His care, His providence, His grace, His mercy, and that is never going to change. He's our Heavenly Father, but He is far, far, far above us. And Christ is not like our earthly friends who wield no more power than we do. His humanity has brought him close to us, and wonderfully so. But, But our Lord can calm the seas. He can rain fire from the heavens. He can create and destroy universes. He will bring judgment on all the world. He is holy and perfect and good. He is pure and spotless, without a blemish, And he is also the one who died to save us from our sins. And so while we can draw close, we can never hold him lightly. When the disciples saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain, they saw for a while some of the extent of his full glory and power. And it blew their minds. They feared greatly. They couldn't even think straight. And just because the Lord doesn't present himself to us in all his glory every day, it doesn't mean it's not there. If we saw God in all his glory every day, we we probably wouldn't get much done. But he is glorious. And we could never treat God God lightly or casually. The second way to consider the glory of God is to consider how others uh, perceive the Lord by our actions. Other people in this world don't know the Lord. They have no relationship with him. But if the image of God that we project through our lives is not for his glory then we can be said to have taken from his glory. 
if by your actions or your words you cause others to disrespect the Lord, then the Lord is honoured less than he should be. You know, if you go out and you share the gospel and, you, and it's all condemnation and you don't reveal God's mercy and grace, they just go away hating God. They never honour him or, or, or see him as he really is. Eli and his sons were doing something very similar when they made themselves contemptible before the Lord and failed to repent of it. The priesthood, not repenting of their sins. And everyone could see it. How does that make others see God? Do we need to repent of our sins? How would they even respect the Lord? if his priesthood wouldn't repent of their own sins. They encouraged others to disrespect the Lord by their actions, but if we act in a way that means that others will take God seriously and honour him and revere him, even know some, some part about him, then we can be said to have done something for his glory. And it is in this sense that Paul says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We can't be living our lives our own way, doing whatever is right in our own eyes. We must recognise the presence and the glory of God in our own lives. We must recognise his importance, his, his greatness, his might, his awesomeness, his holiness. His authority, his power. And we must recognise those things in the way in which we live. The way we make decisions. And even the way we eat and drink. In this way, we can bring glory to God. It matters how we perceive the glory of God. It mattered to the Israelites how they perceived the glory of God because they treated him far too lightly and found themselves facing discipline from the Lord. And those who led the nation in this were judged. Eli and his sons in their house received the wrath of God for their sins. And God withdrew the symbol of his presence from the nation of Israel. And likewise, it matters how we see God. Do you treat God lightly? Or do you see him for all that he is? For all of his power and his might, his holiness, his, all his wonderful grace, his mercy, his his goodness to us, his perfections, his wonderful qualities. Are you living for his glory? Let us acknowledge his greatness, his goodness, his holiness, his majesty and power and live our lives 
in light of his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, uh, you are wonderful, you are glorious, you are mighty and powerful and, and we are here, Lord, because we worship you. Because, because we acknowledge, Lord, that without you, uh, uh, our, we wouldn't even exist. Without you, we, we wouldn't be saved. Without you, there would be nothing of great reward to come. Without you, we would be lost in darkness. Lord, forgive us for those times where we have been too casual with you. Help us, Lord, to understand your glory. How important, how you are to us. Help us to understand the your presence, your power, your majesty. And help us, Lord, by your spirit to, to change our lives, that we would live in light of your glory and for your glory every day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.